In Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere uh, to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I want to talk for a few minutes simply about holding on. Here in this text, we find three potential followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the one, uh, he basically told him, uh, to, Before you follow me, you had better count the cost. I think it's important to realize that Jesus Christ has never asked any of us to ever follow him on false pretenses. Jesus was a man that always held the bar high and nobody could be tricked into it. Nobody could be coerced into following the Lord. Uh, Jesus always put the bar high and told people to follow me. There will be a cross to bear and it will not be a padded cross. He said there will always be a cross to bear. Uh, you may be ridiculed. You may be persecuted. You may be forsaken. You will be misunderstood. Uh, you may be uh, ostracized. You may be put into prison. And yes, you may die the death of a martyr for placing your faith in me, uh, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus told this man, before you follow me, count the cost. I remind you that it was the greatest compliment that Jesus Christ could ever give this man. And I believe with all of my heart you cannot raise the bar, bar any higher than the bar that Jesus raised on that particular day. I wonder if you'll permit me to think out loud for just a moment, but I wonder sometimes if we've not lowered the bar too low when it comes to church membership and dedication unto the things of God. Uh, often many people church today, they want to join, but they don't want to have any, any involvement or commitment to it whatsoever. Uh, you know, Telly Savalas used to say years ago, uh, membership has its privileges, and it does. But membership also has its responsibilities. Amen. And maybe if the bar was held just a little bit higher, I remember years ago, a man said, Pastor, I'd join your church if, if the requirements weren't so high. And I said, dude, we'd let you join the church if you'd meet the requirements that God expects out of you. I, may, I, I believe if we have the bar a little bit higher, we may have fewer members. Uh, but I believe the members we have would be tuned in and, and, and tuned on uh, to the things of the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. And I believe we'd be better off for that. But the words to this, uh, we might be, we, the, the words of, the, of Jesus to the second man uh, almost sounds very harsh. Uh, you know, I want to follow you, but let me go first bury my father. Those words seem somewhat harsh. But when you realize and understand the history of that day, I think you realize it was not that harsh at all. In prob all probability, this man's uh, father wasn't dead. In all probability, this man's father was not even sick uh, because it was customary in that day as a terminology, let me do this uh, before I do that. It was basically a figure of speech of that particular day. He was most likely saying, I will follow you after my father has died. I read somewhere about an old English official from the East. Uh, he told of a very intelligent young Arab man uh, who had been awarded a scholarship either to Oxford or, or to one of those uh, uh, Ivy League schools there, the uh, uh, Cambridge, I believe it was. And the man replied by saying, I will take it after I buried my father. 
I'll take that scholarship only after I bury my father. But the truth of the matter was, the man's father was in the, in the mid-40s. He wasn't even sick, nor was he dead. And what Jesus was trying to say here is that everything in life has a critical moment. And if we do not take advantage of the moment when it comes our way, it may never come back to us ever again. And friend, there are times when Jesus Christ, sometimes turning down an invitation from the Lord can be as critical sometimes as accepting an invitation from the Lord. The truth of the matter is, uh, with all my heart, I believe the man in the story had stirrings in his heart uh, to get out of the spiritual death surroundings that he was in, but he bypassed it and he missed it because he said, I'll do this with you, Lord, only later on down the road. Brothers and sisters, there are times that God gives a call to your life and mine. There are times that God may give a call to bring us out of things in order to take us into something. There may be times the Lord would ask us uh, to get up in the middle of the night uh, to pray and seek his face. There may be times he'll say, turn off the computer and read my word. There may be times he would ask us to do something and we say, but let me do this first only to find out if we do that first, we may have missed the opportunity that God had that we could change the world through the prayer that we pray. Let me tell you something. If God stirs the heart in the day or the wee hours of the night, if God speaks to you specifically about something, I think it behooves us to do what the Lord has asked us to do. Why? Because usually the prayer we prayed will touch somebody's heart. Uh, the prayer we pray will move the hand of God to do something. The Bible verse that we read may speak to our heart in volumes of something that we need to know. And we think, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. And I believe what Jesus was trying to say, capture the moment while you can, because he may not be passing back down this road again. Are you with me? I believe it's important to do that. The psychologists tell us that every time we have a good feeling and we do not act on it, we are probably not going to act on it at all. I remind you that someone said years ago, the emotions become a substitute for action. The emotions become a substitute for an action. It may be by way of illustration that God may lay on your heart to write a letter. A letter to a friend, a letter to a colleague, a letter to uh, someone that's suffering. Send a card and you say, I'll do that. But if we don't write that letter, if we don't write that card with a bruise upon our heart, we may forget it and never do it at all. That's just one little illustration. But let me talk to you about a man by the name of Ananias. The Lord spoke to this man by the name of Ananias. Go into the city called Straight, for there you'll find a man by the name of Saul. He prays. Uh, well, first of all, let me go down and get my belly full of a hamburger. Then I'll go. Might have been too late. It may have been too late. The man obeyed the Lord. And when, he, when God is working on one end, he's always working on the other end. And he went, and there was Saul of Tarsus, blinded. And he said, Brother Saul, the same Lord that appeared to you has also appeared to me. I've come to lay my hands upon you that you might receive your sight. It's important to obey the promptings of the Spirit of God. I would like to encourage each of us in our walk with the Lord. Let's become more sensitive and cognizant to the voice of God on a day-by-day -day basis. There are times that we go through life, we say, what am I doing here? What's it all about? But if we'll listen to the voice of God, he may be leading us to call someone. He may be leading us to speak to someone. He may have us turn our car around and go to someone's house and knock on the door and say, I don't know why I'm here, but I feel a letter of the Lord to come. And they say, thank you for being here. I need this.
But yet too many times we question ourselves and we question the ability to hear the voice of God. And more times than not, we don't do anything. And therefore, we may not see the miracle. We may not see what God wanted to get done. We may hinder the Lord from what He desired to do right through you. It's important, brothers and sisters, that we obey the Lord. If we put it off tomorrow, in all likelihood, it will never happen. Using wisdom and trying the best we can, the Spirit of the Lord, Jesus urges us to act the soon as he moves upon our heart to do something. Now, the words of the third man stated truth which nobody can really deny. No plowman, no plowman has ever plowed a straight furrow by looking back over his shoulders. And more times than not, many Christians today are serving God by looking back to the past because we're afraid of where we're at and sometimes we're afraid of the future. There's some hearts they're in the past today. A story was told about a preacher walking down the beach uh, with his grandson. And as they were walking and talking, here comes another pastor that the old man knew. And they passed each other and they stopped to talk. And the one pastor came down and he was all murmuring and all complaining, all upset about life and how terrible life was, and how terrible pastoring was. And he was just a fit. And to add injury to insult, he had a little bit of a sunstroke. Just a little bit of a sunstroke. So they greeted him and went away. And finally, the little boy looked at his grandpa and he said, Papa, I hope you never suffer from a sunset. <laughs> he didn't get all the stories straight. Well, church, I hope you and I never suffer from a sunset. Because you see, we're not marching toward a sunset. We're marching toward the dawn. Amen. The watchword for the kingdom of God is not backwards. It is forward. And I believe what Jesus is saying, if you put your hand to the plow, don't take your hand off of it. We've got to hold on in these last days in order to be committed to the things of God. Now, with that being said, to this man, Jesus did not say, either follow me, and he did not tell this man to return. He said, I don't accept lukewarmness service and let the man make up on his own decisions what he's going to do with the Lord. This is the crux of the matter tonight. I want to talk about the plowman. God wants you and me to hold on when it would be easier to let go. Are you with me? To the one man, he said, consider the cost. To the other man, we said what he said there a moment ago, he didn't act upon the crucial moment. But to this man, he simply says, if, if any man takes loose of that plow, you can't be my disciple. With that being said, the plowman is a symbol of a person who holds on. Church, have you ever tried to lift something and your hands just got so heavy it slipped right out of your hands? It's easy for that to happen. Spiritually speaking, the same thing can happen. Holding to things takes an obstinate determination. Holding on to things takes somewhat a stubbornness. Holding on to things uh, today takes a determination and a belief that God is going to come through for us. That's what I think Jesus was saying. He, he singled out the plowman. Now, it's, I don't know how this is true or not, but many of the plowmen that I ever knew, uh, they were typical farmers. They didn't have master's degrees and, and PhDs or anything like that. But one thing they did have, and that was the virtue of holding on to the plow until the job was completed. And because of that, Jesus said uh, that it's very important. He said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. What happens to those that don't continue in God's word? How many, what happens to those that let go uh, before we've come to the end? What happens to those that let go of the faith? Jesus said we must continue. There is a holding on, church, that we must be able to do. 
And I'm afraid we're living in an era today in our lives, in this world, where all hell is coming against the church. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Do you feel the hot breath of hell breathing down your neck from time to time, or is it just me? The Bible lets me know that in the latter day Antichrist spirit and the devil will do everything he can to rob us of our faith, to kill and to destroy. And yet we go through trials and we go through tests and we go through temptation and we have all of these things coming against us. And sometimes you just say, Lord, I'll just stop the world for a moment and let me off. Because it gets hard and harder and harder to live sometimes for the Lord. Something more is required to receive eternal life. Something more is required to receive the crown today. To hold on when the sun no longer shines. To hold on to the things of God uh, when clouds overshadow us. To me, that's the mark, if you will, of discipleship. Uh, when you've been forsaken by your friends and been forsaken by your family and all you have is God to lean upon, uh, that is a sure sign of discipleship. And when you have nothing but God's Word to stand upon and the promises of God to stand upon, that is a mark of discipleship. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus said, even, or somebody said, even the world forsake, I've got to hold on to the hand of the living God. There's a holding on, church, that we've got to do. And I see too many people today letting go. When everything and everybody leaves you and God's the only foundation upon which you build your life, that's the secret to discipleship today. The importance of abiding at all times. See, here's the thing. You can't just abide with God when you want to. Well, I'm going to serve God today and tomorrow I'm going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to come back and serve God tomorrow and the next time I'm going to sow my wild oats. Are you aware that there are many Christians today that two-time Jesus Anybody ever been two-timed? You know that term? Is that just an old croak up here? Anybody, anybody know what two-timing means? How many of you don't know what it means? Okay, some of you are younger apparently. <laughs> two-timing basically means I've got a girlfriend on Saturday night, but I've got another girlfriend on Tuesday night. But I'm committed to this one, but I'm running around with this one. That's two-timing. And there are a lot of Christians today two-timing Jesus. And that's the fact that, oh, how I love him on Sunday. But throughout the week, we're doing things we ought not do. But because we joined the church, we're okay. Let me tell you something. You can join the church and it won't do you a bit of good. Come on, come on. You can sign your name on a barn door and it'll get you about as far. Well, I was baptized. You can be baptized every crawl down the river. Knows you by your first name. You won't do a thing but go down a wet center or dry center or come out a wet one. Well, I shook the preacher's hand and made a deal. It don't work for you. You might as well take a dog by the hind leg because it's not going to get you dead. We've got to be born again. If we're born again, we're going to walk the walk and we're going to talk the talk and we're going to hold on to God no matter what comes our way, devil, hell, or high water. Today, there are too many people losing their grip when it comes to holding on to God and holding on to the Word of God and holding on to the promises of God because everything screams within us, where is your God? Where is the God of Elijah? Where are the miracles that you believe in? Where is the answer to the prayer that you prayed? And we allow ourselves to get in some kind of a stupor to where we get angry and angry and angry and it can turn into cynicism long before you know it. For a moment this morning, Let's focus, or evening rather, let's focus on this, um, it's night I think. Let's focus on this word abide. Jesus Christ used this word abide as one of his favorite words. 
The verb abide has at least 11 different ways it can be translated. And a few of the definitions of this word mean what I'm about to share with you, not limited to. In the Greek language, epinomo means to abide in, continue in, tarry, is strengthened form of the Greek word meno, which means to stay with the qualities of faith, hope, and love, but also means to continue. It means to persevere, to remain in place instead of leaving it, suggesting endurance, endurance, endurance. He that endures unto the end shall be saved. It didn't say he that endures until the end. There's a difference between the word unto and until. There's a big difference between those two words. He that endures unto the end. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. We've got to have some endurance soldiers today and some people that will abide and people that will continue holding on to the promises of God in the midst of all the pain that we go through. Again, the word abide was one of the favorite words that Jesus used. I believe that Jesus was a studier of nature, and I believe he looked often and used nature in illustrations. And he talked about the branch abiding in the vine. The branch was there abiding in the vine, not just on sunshiny days, but in rainy days. The, 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 the branch was abiding in the vine at 12 o'clock at day, but it was abiding at 12 o'clock at night. It was abiding in the late night and the early morning, in the cool weather and the icy weather, when it snowed and when it rained, when it was foggy, when it was cloudy, when the wind was blowing and when it was calm. It didn't matter what the atmosphere outside, it didn't matter the surroundings, it didn't matter what the weather was, it was that branch continually biting in the vine. The wind may blow and the freezing may come, but that branch uh, would stay in the vine no matter what came its way. Night did not severe or sever uh, the enemy relationship and winter did not end the union uh, between the vine and the branch. And Jesus recognized that. And I believe that the word of nature, that's the secret and the source of fruitfulness, so it's also the secret of the power of grace. To abide is not just merely trust. To abide is to continue to trust when all hell comes against you. To abide is not just to trust. Abide is to continue to trust when the doctor's report is not favorable. When your world has gone upside down. When life meets you. When death comes to your house. When you're laid off from work. When your teenage children rebel against you. We continue to abide. It's not just barely trusted. We trust come devil hell or high water in our life. To abide means to continue to trust, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the surroundings, regardless of uh, the conditions of our world. It's to hold on and to hold to him through summer and winter, through fair weather and stormy. Nothing better could show the vision of Jesus Christ than holding on and abiding. Jesus did not serve us just telling us what to do, like a fellow told me one time, my pastor used to tell me, now, I don't do as I do, do as I say. He meant in a good way. You need to rest, I don't. That's what he's trying to tell me. You need to rest, I don't do it. But you don't, don't listen to what I say. I don't, listen, don't do what I do, listen to what I say. Jesus was not that way. Jesus just didn't simply do what I do. Let me show you how to do. Jesus is the great example of abiding, yeah. of holding on.
of enduring, of continuing in the faith that he started. Too many Christians are letting go of their faith in times and seasons of trials and tests and temptations. Some people love the Lord. They serve him faithfully as long as the sun shines, as long as the world is trouble-free, as long as life is good. God is good. The sun's shining. The bills are paid. The kids are healthy. The home life is great. I've got a good job. Everything is just going all that well that all of a sudden life happens. The bottom seems to fall out of your world and then you begin to lose grip. In such time, people begin to question their faith. They begin to question God. They begin to blame God for the dilemma. Often they become cynical. They become full of doubt. They become bitter. And they begin to question and worry. Like a new springtime plant, the first frost kills them. Cynicism is a terrible thing. Bitterness is a terrible thing among people of God. I may have shared the story with you years ago about a woman that got bit by a rabid dog. By the time she got to the, to the doctor, he said, I'm sorry you came too late. Best I can do is make you comfortable. You want to die. So she took out a piece of paper and a pen and began to write. He said, are you making out your last, last will and testament? He said, oh, no. She said, I'm making out a list of people I want to bite. <laughs> a lot of Christians that way become bitter and become cynical. Life is not easy. Life is not all sunshine. And it's been said too much sunshine can make a desert. Life's going to happen, my friend, to the best of people. Life's going to happen to you, and life's going to happen to me. There are some days we're the ball, and some days we're the bat. Some day we're the windshield wiper, and some day we're the bug. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And let's just be honest about this thing. There's some days you're the hubcap, and there's some days you're the dog. But a faith in God can brave the storms. Amen. A faith in God's Word is a stick to that's going to get us through life. Not just get it through, but get through life with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. A peace is more than just words in the Bible. A peace is what God gives. My peace I'll live with you. Not as the world did. Give I unto you peace. There's a joy in the midst of your pain. There is a presence in the midst of your sorrow. And there is a God that's bigger than anything that will ever go through. Hold on to the hand of the living God. Hold on to the word of God. Don't let go for the hand that you're holding on to is the hand that's holding on to you as well. The songwriter said, hang on, hang on, hold on, my child. Joy is coming in the morning. And too many of us are allowing the situations of life to let go of our faith. Many people started the race well, but many will end the race defeated and empty. It don't need to be that way. Guard your faith. Guard your relationship with God. Guard your precious moments of prayer. Guard the time you spend in God's Word. Persevere in prayer. Persevere in the study of God's Word. Take God's Word and apply it to your life daily. Trust God for victory as you walk in faith and as you walk in obedience with Him on a daily basis. Now here's the sad part. Look around in the memory of your mind and think of men and women that one time you knew that served God. They loved the Lord. They repented of their sins. They accepted Jesus Christ.
They had, made a, had a made up mind, I'm going to serve God come devil hell or high water. They signed their name on the bottom page, if you will, and they made up their mind they were going to not lose grip and they were going to be faithful to God unto the very end. But they allowed the enemy to deceive them. They allowed a, uh, they allowed a, a, a devil to destroy them or a trial to destroy them. And they allowed life to choke the devotion of God's word and God's prayer right out of their being. And today there's statistics somewhere on the sideline of those that used to know God. But something caused them to fall. Yeah. Well, I don't believe that people can backslide. Well, they do it whether you believe it or not. Right. Some of our dear Baptist folk think you can't lose your way with God, and they do. And some of our Assembly of God folks believe you can lose your way with God, and we do. But I don't want to be a statistic in the book. I want my name to stay in the Lamb's book of life. But friends, we've got to have a steadfastness an endurance, a holding on mentality that no matter what comes our way, I want to be faithful unto the end. To make matters worse, many of those same people that had a genuine faith in God, as I said, had become bitter, become cynical, and many had judgmental attitudes toward the church in general and toward Christians in particular. I think of a young man that I went to college with. He came to college on fire for God. But in that year's time, he got with the wrong crowd. He backslid and lost his way with God. A man that had the call of God upon his heart to preach the word. But he allowed himself to get caught up in the fun, in the games, in an unpopular uh, a group of people that led him astray. It wasn't their fault, it was his fault. But by the grace of God, we could all be there. I know when I went to college, a lady back in the mountains told me, she said, don't let nobody change you. I'm okay. And I thought, if you don't change, you don't grow. So I thought to myself, I got to change in the right way. So all my friends at college called me the B-boy. All you're concerned about is your bed, your books, your Bible, and your bed. Brother Shelton was a registrar at the college at that time. Wave as Brother Shelton. I don't know this day why you didn't put me on academic probation because my first semester I had a 1.9 GPA. I didn't know what GPA, I thought that was a gross national problem. I don't know what GPA stood for. I, go, I was 20, 21 years old and I went to college and I walk in there and they say, you can, you, what you, looking at your uh, academic career here, I believe you can handle uh, 12 hours a semester. I thought, man, 12 hours, I've been working 60. I can get me a full-time job and do 12 hours. May I tell you those 12 hours whoop me. I learned what 12 hours meant. We had these big old psychology books and PSA books and English books. And I didn't know a, an advert from a crawdab in those days and still know much better today. But I know one thing. I want to do well in my Bible classes. I could care less about psychology and PSA. Couldn't, couldn't spell it and couldn't pronounce it anyway. But my second semester, my, my second semester of my first year, I said, God... I don't care what goes on, you're coming first. Because I spend all time up to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning reading and get up and go to class early in the morning. I was tired and worn out. And I was losing my way with God because I'd come to study to get my degree, whatever that meant. I said, it ain't going to happen. I said, I don't care if I fell out of this school. There's nothing going to take my place with my God. 
And I started going to the chapel every morning at 6 o'clock. They finally ended up giving me a key to the place. I'd go every night when curfew in those days, I think, was 10, if I remember correctly, maybe 11. I gave the first hour of the day and the last hour of the day to the Lord in prayer and study of His Word. Because before that, when I was flunking out of school, I'd open up the Bible, Lord, speak to me. Judas hung himself, good do thou likewise. That don't work. That's not the way you read the Bible, okay? And my prayer was walking from my dorm to the place. God, I still love you, but I don't know how to balance all of this stuff. So I said, forget that, because I'm letting go of something so precious to me. I'm holding on to the Lord. And I remind you that after my sophomore, junior, and senior year, I began to take 16, 18, 20 hours a semester and work 20 hours a week at a store and made the dean's list every time. Why? God came first. Church, you've got to put God first in your life. I've got to put the Lord first in my life. We ought not build God around our day. We had best build our day around our God. And we've got to have an endurance and a holding on to the Lord. I think of another young man I led the Lord many years ago. The last I heard, well, it had been years ago, he was dying in a coma of a drug overdose. A man who loved the Lord was changed by the power of God, but got a wrong person in his life. But I'm glad to say, even though he died, he made his peace with God. And for that, I'm grateful. I've known of people that stood and sang in church choirs, been on deacon boards, that have allowed something to rob them of their faith in God to where they've gone into new age religion. They're worshiping a dead Buddha rather than worshiping a living God. Why? Because they've been deceived by sin or destroyed by a trial or a test. Let me tell you, church, forget all the things that happens to you and keep your hand in the one that's working for you. His name is Jesus. Believe God is real because he is. <clears throat> Salvation is real. Have peace with him. And I remind you the devil's real. He wants to rob, kill, and to destroy but hold on, my friend, regardless of your trial, regardless of your pain, regardless of your doctor's report, regardless of your situation you're facing, God will come through. He doesn't pay on the 1st and the 15th of every month, but God will come through. In the meantime, His grace will be sufficient. Don't be duped by the end of your soul. Don't let His negative thoughts occupy your mind. Meditate upon the Scripture. Don't listen to the talking heads up on the television. And don't talk to Job's comforters are in this world. And don't listen to all those naysayers. Blow the dust off the pages of God's Word and see what He says about it. And hold on because joy indeed will come in the morning. Get a firm grip on the altar of prayer. Get a firm grip on the pages of God's Word. And my friend, for there you'll meet the lover of your soul. Hold on, my child, he says, for joy comes in the morning. The principle of holding on is exemplified in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did Jesus insist on his followers holding on, he exemplified this in his own life. For all his meekness, nothing, absolutely nothing could divert him from the vocation and the path of vocation that he had to trod during that life. Remember, when he was summoned to the bed of Jairus' daughter, on the way there, he was met by a woman with an issue of blood, and she made a demand upon his ability, and he touched, she touched him, and he said, I have felt virtue flow out of my body. 
Now friends, I remind you this. When you and I are working for the Lord and the anointing of God's there, that virtue will flow through us. And if we're not careful, we'll be depleted of his power. We can be depleted of his glory within our lives if we're not careful. If we're always giving out and giving out and giving out and we're not putting anything back in return, we are nothing but susceptible to the lies of the enemy and to the destruction of the enemy of our soul. You can't give out, give out, and give out without putting something else back in. Now, uh, this thought comes to my mind. I've said it before years ago, but it's, here it is now. If you go to Israel, and many of you, we went to Israel a few years back. If you go to Israel, you'll see that there's a river that flows into the Sea of Galilee and around the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum and all those places is beautiful. There are flowers, there's green grass, and there's fish in the Sea of Galilee. Big old ugly things about that big. And you can eat them, and I always tell them to take the head off because if you don't, then we'll fish eyes looking at you while you're eating that sucker, and you've got to put a napkin over his head. But they'll whop the head off, and they're good eating, okay? So there's all kinds of life around the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River comes into it, but the Jordan River flows out of it, and it dumps now into the Dead Sea. And guess what? It's dead. Very little life around it whatsoever. It's dead. All the minerals in it. You can float in that stuff almost. Some of you went in it and you sit in there and you can't go down because the buoyancy of it holds you up. All the minerals that's in there. Why is it that the same river feeds the Sea of Galilee is life and the same river that feeds the Dead Sea is death? I'll tell you why. Because the one takes in but it gives out. The other just takes and takes and takes and doesn't give out and it dies. There's a manner whereby we take in from God and we must give out to have life, but there's a manner where we also must put back in what's been taken out. And if we're not careful, church, we'll deplete ourselves of God's presence, we'll deplete ourselves of God's glory, we'll deplete ourselves of God's anointing within our lives. Jesus Christ understands what exhaustion is all about. In that such seasons, we can't face the music. When we depleted ourselves of all of our energies and our spiritual stamina, grasshoppers becomes a burden. And the beautiful thing about the Lord is this. A quiet trust in Him is what He taught us. When all hell came against Him, He prayed. He prayed. And He sweat like it was drops of blood, but He prayed. He overcame temptations to give in. He had to reinforce his will uh, constantly through days of weakness, through seasons of exhaustion, uh, through hours of his soul with sorrow unto death. He had, he had the task God had given him. It would have been easy to have let go, but he had love in his heart for you and love in his heart for this world. He was able to endure the cross. Why? He held on. If Jesus can hold on when all hell is coming against him, he taught us how we can hold on as well. He spent time in the Father's presence. He spent time in prayer. He knew that he was going to be attacked. He made up his mind, no matter what comes my way, he's going to make it in this world. Jesus Christ held on. Even when the sky was dark, when, the, when, 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 the, when, the, when judgment of God was up on the cross, it had been easy. He said, I give up. Let me call for the legion of angels to set me free. But he endured unto the end. Why? Because he held on, he knew how to abide in the Father. None of us have ever suffered like Jesus suffered. But he is our example of how to hold on when others are letting go. He's our example how to endure when others are running away. He's our example of continuing on when others are walking away. Friend, it's hard to see where Jesus learned this. 
living in perfect fellowship and communion with his heavenly Father. I've got to hurry and come to a close tonight. Jesus held to the heart of the Father. And he told this man, if any man takes hold of the plow and let go, you really can't be my disciple. Today we follow one of the greatest examples in all the world, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ about abiding. The writer of Hebrews said, Wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied in your faint in your minds. You think it was easy for Jesus to hold on? Oh, he was God. Everything he did, he did as a man anointed the Holy Spirit. Everything he did, he did as a man anointed the Holy Spirit upon this earth. But I believe the God of heaven said, this is my beloved son Amen. in whom I'm well pleased. I long for that hour when you and I stand before the judgment bar of God all by his grace and mercy. We can hear him say, well done, my child. Well done, my child. You've been faithful over a few things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Jesus is in full agreement with heaven's perseverance. Persevere. Persevere. I'm going to close. I've got more I want to say tonight. But Jesus said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Just as Jesus did, we win our victories not by letting go, but by holding on. We win our victories by continuing in the Word. We win our victories by abiding in Him. We master a foreign language by constantly practicing the foreign language. We master Shakespeare, which I will not do, cannot do by reading Shakespeare. We master how to kick a football by kicking a football. And we learn how to be a true disciple of God by following Him in the good days and the bad days as well. In the log book of, of Christopher Columbus, there was an entry more common than all the others. It's not today the wind was favorable. It was, it's today that we sailed on. It's today that we sailed on. And to sail on every common day through the storm when the waves were high, when the skies were gray, when the winds were heavy, when the rains were pouring, when they had been easy to turn and going back the way the wind was blowing them, he said, we sailed on. We like the days where we put in the diary, oh, favorable sailing today, everything's great. Those days will come, but church, there's going to be the day when the winds wait and the winds will knock you off your course. Bad news will knock you to your knees. Tragedy will come that will throw you a curveball. But I'm here to tell you, we've got to have a made up mind. None of these things move me. I will abide with my God. I will continue on. I will endure. Beloved, keep on trusting. Keep on keeping on. It's this that the Christian character is built. It's the continuing on. It's the holding on. It's the abiding in Jesus that one day will allow you and me to hear those wonderful words. Well done, my child.